was, oh, I bet it's going to be a 90-10 split. Just to confirm what you said there, it's the same deal as what would have happened back in December? Yeah, exactly the same deal. So, you know, I think it's fairly established, it's on record, the contract was, you know, if 99% wasn't the right number, 98% is the right number in terms of where we got to on that contract. And the commercial terms, importantly, were agreed and accepted. They're exactly the same deal exactly the same terms um, we've got enough time hopefully this time to get it done if they want to do it but look, they made it clear as well in that conversation that they're exploring other opportunities for Joshua and we've got to still explore other opportunities for Tarsen we can't put all our eggs in one basket but at the end of the day the priority is to see if we can make it if they want to make it it's there to be done well, Tyson put out a post last night as well. We t he tagged in Anthony Joshua and loads of, of different accounts, and he said the draft contract has been sent over. I'm not going to bother you too much, but the draft contract's with you. Eddie Hearn's come out this morning and said there is no draft contract. What, what can you tell us? Well, I mean, look, Tyson's Tyson's a boxer. He's not he's not a lawyer. He's not a promoter. Um, you know, I think that might be him maybe slightly misunderstanding how how the approach and how the strategy's got to go down to make big fights. You know, you start with a formal offer, which we've done. The other party accept that formal offer, which I'm hoping they will, or at least engage in discussions to have it, ha have it happen. If that happens, then we go back to the contract. Hi, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where um, Eddie Hearn showed his true colours on Saturday night. And I don't think it's a... I don't think it's a good look for Match Me FC and I don't think it's a good look for all these people who bang the drum for Hearn because, you know, the truth is out. But we'll come back to that later. It's worth touching on some of the other stuff we talked about. So I think in the episode before this, you know, we did more of a deep dive into Chris Billingsmith versus Lawrence Cody, which undoubtedly was the event of Saturday night by some distance with the other two promoters putting on essentially watered down cards which was a shame to see, but as a boxing fan, I'm not going to complain about Saturday. I want to start with the show in Belfast because I found it really interesting. Now, I'm not quite 100% sure about the fallout from the MTK dissolution last year, but I'm sure Jamie Conlon can't fly to America. Irish people, feel free to update me on that. So for him to be working with Bob Arum and Frank Warren, so I guess it's a red flag in many ways and, you know, comes back to the point of why get rid of MTK if essentially the same cast and characters are doing the same things in a more complicated manner. It was easier to keep an eye on it when it was MTK and I don't understand any of it, but it's not for me to understand. So in essence, they put on an Irish card and they had... You know, your usual Mick Conlon, your Anto Kakaches, uh, there were Pierce O'Leary in there, and and you know the the who's who of of kind of Irish prospects were on there. Um, and I get a hard time because people say you're anti-Irish boxing. I'm not. I'm just confused. I'm a hundred percent confused because you look at Irish amateurs and skills to burn for days. Like they've got the they've got the thing figured out. They're good. Right, but I had a lad I used to train Ross, and Ross boxed in the Ulsters. Not sure it was the semi or the final, and he boxed Aiden Walsh. And you know, Aiden Walsh comes with a big reputation about you know being skilled, and I think he's the brother of Michaela Walsh. And you know, this is a family that are going to dominate Irish boxing. I remember him just going, "I don't think he'll cut it in the pros. He's 
he's not strong enough. And that seems to be the theme, right? Paddy Barnes stayed too long as an amateur, not strong enough at the top level. And none of them seem to be physically strong enough. Katie Taylor doesn't seem to be physically strong enough. None of them, like, there aren't many. That you, we're seeing Thomas Carsey now. But if you look at Thomas Carsey from his amateur days to the weight he's had to add on as a pro, you look and you go, okay, how far can he go? And I don't understand it. I'm not saying, I don't know where I am on it. Someone has to explain to me why it's so good in the amateurs and so bad in the pros. And it can't just be down to, ah, oh, there's not enough sparring because you can hop over and come here, spend a year here if you had to. There has to be something else. I don't know if it's the people they're picking. I don't necessarily know if it's the Irish people because if you think about this, you had Leinster dominating people for fun in the URC rugby. And as soon as they started battling against more physical teams when the South Africans came into the URC and when they played teams like La Rochelle, they get bullied physically. So I don't know if it's an Irish thing. I'd like to get to the bottom of it because I think whoever solves that will unleash an incredible raft of talent. But let's talk about the card. Um, I'll keep it brief in, for the undercard just because I sort of jumped in and out of that. But great win for, for Pierce O'Leary. And obviously, I'm going to say that because he's trained by a friend of mine, Eddie Lamb. I, I worry, though, and I do worry when I see a kid knocking people out for fun like this because he's not getting the rounds he needs. And at some point, they're going to have to put him in with someone who's going to give him rounds. Even if he takes a loss, who cares? He has to know how to do those rounds because what we're finding is in Britain, we're padding these records out and people always try and get wise after the fact, like, yeah, but if you look at him on box rake, we thought he could do the distance, he didn't. You look for a soft fight. Stop looking for these soft fights. Stop looking for soft journeymen. Put your kids in hard. We don't care if they lose, as long as it's a good loss to take. If it's a loss that says, yeah, he can come back from that, fine. But if it's one of those losses where it's like, maybe he shouldn't have turned pro, we also need to be honest about that. Too many times people are trying to to navigate the most lucrative way to cash out of the sport. And that's often at the, let's start again, and that's often at the expense of the fans. That's often the fans having to foot the bill for people's failed experiments. And I don't think we want to do that anymore. It's almost like there should be a filtration process. Before we see you on TV, you should have proved yourself elsewhere. It should be a privilege to be on TV, not an automatic right. And I think these promoters trying to throw on too many shows and trying to corner the market is what's ruining boxing. Like the, that's why the standards are rubbish. You know? But I saw Pierce O'Leary and I'm like, someone needs to take him 10, 12 rounds now. Like all of these knockouts are cool, but they're against people who are there to fall over. I don't, I don't want to hear an argument to the contrary. And that's not me saying Pierce O'Leary is no good. It's me saying I can't tell you whether he's good or not until he steps in with someone who's not going to fall over. And then we'll find out what he's all about. And that's what we want to see. Um, Anto Kikache. Ah, man. You know. They're going to keep recycling these names, aren't they? These, these Podreg McCrory's. And they're going to keep recycling these names because... Their name's over there. I don't even think these guys really sell tickets anymore because people realize they're not quite there. So I'm just like, whatever, whatever. And that's the story of that card. That was a very whatever card. And, you know, people will try and spin it and say it was a great night. I, I frankly don't care. 
I frankly don't care, but I did watch the main event. And I watched the main event because I was a thousand percent confident, one thousand percent confident this would be vindication that the Dark Lord is a hoax. I've been consistent when I talk about Mick Conlon. I've been consistent. All the skill in the world, all the talent in the world, all the personality in the world, but he's hollow. He's hollow. And you know what happens to hollow things when the pressure comes on, they crumble. People point to Lee Wood. I, I go for, I just say, if you look at, at, at Mick Conlon's record, it's really, um, I need to call him Jose Zito Lopez. It's not Lopez. Is it Luis Lopez? I can't even remember. But essentially, it's Jason Cunningham, Lee Wood, Lopez. Nothing else matters in his record. Right? And in two of those three, he's been smashed. And it's the way he gets knocked out that's the worry. There's no resistance. This is a rise out. And you saw from the way the towel came in, Adam Booth was like, this guy's done. He's done. Wow. That's how you're going to be known. The guy that called corruption in 2016 got iced by Lee Wood, got iced by Luis Alberto Lopez. Iced. And people say, ah, there's no shame in losing to him. Yes, there is when you were the next big thing. People were telling us you would be a world champion in like 15 fights or something. He was never, he was never strong enough. He was always good enough. He was never strong enough. And I say this time and time again, the good professionals are the people who don't break down physically and don't break down mentally. Skills almost an afterthought. If you can show up to 95% of your training sessions over your career, you'll go further than someone who shows up to 80%. Now, the numbers aren't that different, but that 15% difference is everything because it points to you being more physically robust, more mentally in tune, all of these things. When you start seeing people and they've got less than 10 bouts and they're getting injured and have being operated on, it's a red flag. Because you're missing out on development time. So I look at Mick Conlon and I go, if I asked him I'd retire, I'd just try and get a gold medal in 2024, go back to being an amateur. He's, he's not strong enough to be, to be a pro. He isn't. There isn't another featherweight you believe that he would be. No featherweight with a title loses to Mick Conlon. And if he's not going to win a world title, what is it? He can't move up. Like he'll get launched into space if he moves up. I don't know if he can cut the weight to move down. But if he could have done, he would have done. He's 31, probably heading towards 32 now. He can't do it now. But it reveals again that Adam Booth is a hoax as a trainer. An absolute hoax. 100% top to bottom hoax. He's... He's made a career... And this is just my opinion, by the way. In my opinion, he has made a career of lifting things from other trainers and trying to make them his own and 
it never worked. You remember when he did the stupid double pad thing? And he thought, oh, that's really cool. And everyone started to do it like it's a cool thing to do. It's just stupid. When he used to make people do box jumps with weights on their shoulders. Stupid. And I think what happens sometimes is when you don't have that confidence and belief in who and what you really are, you look for these these niche things to say and to do to try and appear smarter than everyone else. And that's what he would do, right? He'd give these really oblique answers to IFL questions and pretend that he was this man of mystery. He's just a just an old man who never really figured out how to coach fighters. Because if you think about it, Adam Booth has been unable to train a fighter to have stamina. He's been unable to train a fighter to have real physical strength. He has been unable to train a fighter to protect their chin. Adam Booth fighters, apart from maybe Ryan Burnett, are notorious for being fragile as hell. Even Ryan Burnett turned out to be fragile. He's back when he had to retire. That's Adam Booth's training from what I'm hearing. And people say, yeah, but look at the guys he worked with. Who? Ah, David, hey, David could have gone with anyone and achieved what he achieved. Same with Tyson Fury. There's certain people who would have just done it. David knew more about boxing than Adam did. Knows more about boxing right now than Adam does. It's not even close, by the way. George Groves, we're going to use him as an example. George is a two-time ABA champion. If George was French, he'd have gone to the 2008 Olympics. We could only pick one. George would have gone to the 2008 Olympics. We'd be calling him an Olympian and we'd be surprised he achieved so little relative to who and what he was. Outside of that, who? What happened with Dion Juman? Nothing. What's happened with Shannon Courtney? Nothing. Josh Kelly's just looked like, I mean, he might be British level tops. So when are people going to start putting that, that, that focus on Adam Booth that they used to put on Dave Caldwell? When are they going to start putting that, that spotlight of scrutiny on Adam Booth that they did to Joe Gallagher? When are they going to start putting that, that focus of scrutiny on Adam Booth the same way they do Ben Davidson? When is that going to happen? Because once again, an Adam Booth fighter has been found to be inadequate at the top level. Got knocked out. And that's what I said. As soon as I saw the fight, I was watching. I was like, this kid's got no chin, no stamina, no strength. And this Lopez kid is just having fun in there. It was worrying when Lopez was like, I'm just going to walk through your punches and hit you. And there's nothing Adam could do because Adam doesn't have that nous to guide you through a fight. Like if, it's, if there's anything happening in the ring that's not on his script, he's not, he's not going to deal with it. But he's a hoax. And the sad part is Mick Conlon mortgages career to essentially a hoax, in my opinion. It's a hoax. Hopefully the rest of boxing now steers well clear. All this, oh, you've got to go to Adam Booth. For what? for stuff you can find out on the internet like he does. Thanks, but no thanks. And poor guy, Mick Conlon, career's washed, done, cooked. Can't bring him back now. What are you going to have him do? Fight Reese Bellotti. Can't do anything with him. Hopefully now that's everyone just going, right, we're done with this guy. I mean, <laughs> reform MTK, manage him yourselves. So that was the Frank show. Um, 
entertaining for the way the main event ended, but otherwise just a card no one's going to care about in two years' time. That brings brings us across to another card that we should have cared about, right? So if you really think about (laughs) what happened on Saturday, chronologically, and credit to the promoters for sequencing it this way so it was manageable. Chronologically, we had the Conlon main event, right? And we got to watch that. We're like, whew, that's going to be tough to beat. And I was there going, God, content's going to be good. If the, rest, if the rest of these guys deliver tonight, content's going to be banging. So I was there like, yeah, yeah, salivating, chops licking. And then we get a Coley versus Chris Billum Smith. And I'm like, ooh, this is good. You know, you just know, oh, this is good. This is spectacular. Yeah. So now you know, I'm like, yep, pod content's going to be solid. I'm going to get my grift on. Uh, yeah. And then you get Wood Lara. And I felt sorry for Wood Lara because I was like, you've got to go some now to top what we've seen. And I knew that it was Ben Davison in the corner. So I was like, I don't, it ain't going to come from Wood's side, is it, in terms of a spectacular knockout? Because Ben's a naturally conservative trainer. Whatever your views on that are, whatever. But he is a naturally conservative trainer. If there's a risk to be taken, avoid it. Works for some, doesn't work for others. So we get to the Lee Wood main event and we're like, okay, yeah, not much is happening here. Lara looked strange, um, didn't make the weight, was three pounds over at the weigh-in, didn't seem that bothered, lost his belt on the scales. Maybe he's just bored of being in the UK. Maybe he misses his family and he just, he looked like he didn't want to be there. He'd already lost his belt. So what was he fighting for? That's what that felt like on, on Saturday. He's like, well, I'm not fighting to defend the title anymore. And so I don't know what to make of the whole debacle. So he comes in on Friday, 129 pounds. The board say it's not safe for him to try and make 126 I don't understand why. Like, if he's struggled to make 129, going to 126, what difference is that going to make if you're just pulling water out? But, you know, if he was struggling at that, why did he even have the belt? So once he's lost the belt, what are you fighting for? Lee Wood's fighting for something. He's like, I can still win the belt. So his mindset's completely different. And you can see that. I think the score's like 118, 109 because he got dropped in the second round. That's what I mean. That's what the Bronco Lara were used to. But Lee Wood doesn't care, and I don't think he should. Lee Wood went in there to take on the best version of Lara, did what he had to do, and he won. And we now have to start looking at his recent runners. It's almost frotch-like. If he can carry this on for another four or five fights, he's in that conversation like Carl Frotch is, for you know, a guy who had a really a a decent run. I'm not going to say a world-class run because I don't believe Kanzu's world-class. I don't believe Mick Conlon's world-class, as you well know. And I don't believe Lara's world-class. But I do believe those are very hard fights and those are fights that Brits normally run away from and Lee Wood ran towards them. And now he's going to go and fight Josh Warrington. I expect him to do a number on Warrington. And then what? Who knows? I'd like to see one of these guys just jump in with Isaac Dog, but I don't think we're going to get it for any number of reasons. But that's a real shame. You know, Mick Conlon could have fought Isaac. They just didn't want to put him in with him. That doesn't make any sense. I found that one of the weirdest things about boxing is that no one wants to have that 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 tussle with Isaac. But hey, it is what it is. Um, so in terms of that fight, bit of a damp squib. I don't think Eddie's going to be boasting about that show because 
Hearn's smart enough to know that his show sits firmly in the shadow of Conlon getting stopped and Chris Billum Smith's fairy tale moment. So if you're Hearn, you're just going to sit there and go, there's nothing I can say. Um, he'll float around this week doing his IFL stuff. He'll tell us that he's having talks for Joshua versus Fury, Joshua versus Wilder and Saudi. And, you know, all these fights, none of which will happen. I can guarantee they won't happen. I am 100% confident of this one thing. There is someone controlling all of the strings here. This is all scripted. And it's like, we're going to keep dragging this out, keep building it up until we need to make it happen. And I have a feeling once there's a way for the money to exist comfortably, then that's what we'll see. But if we just spin back to the card, uh, Terry Harper, Ford Habers in. I think Terry Harper's in no man's land at the moment. I hope Natasha Jonas never gives her the fight. The disrespect that came from Steffi should be treated with the same amount of disrespect. And now Terry Harper's got to go and find her own way. So wherever you send Terry Harper next, no idea. Really interesting that Hearn was crying about egos getting in the way of making fights when he, that's his whole thing. That's his whole thing. How many fights could have been made if Hearn wanted to make them and he chose not to? Frank Warren said it in the lockdown. We can sit down over some food and we can sort this out. Have a Queensbury versus Matchroom card. The one thing boxing fans were truly excited by. And then Hearn, obviously, is this ego. So I hope Harper ends up in no man's land. I hope that's, that's, that's her now. Let her keep her belt defended aimlessly. And no one, no one cares about Terry Harper anymore. You know? So expect to see her come down and wait. And expect Steffi Ball to start talking Chantal Cameron very, very soon. So yeah, yeah, we can get down to 140. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Why UCAD aren't looking into this is beyond me. A hundred percent beyond me. In fact, why UCAD don't look into women's boxing from a doping perspective, it's beyond me. If ever you want to find a sport that is rife with doping right now, it is women's boxing. Rife. Rife. Because they can gamble a bit. There's no risk of shutdown. Most men are scared to take gear because of the risk of shutdown. Oh, what if I stop producing testosterone and sperm oh my god what am i going to do women don't women don't have that fear because it's producing the adrenal gland so for them it's nothing and no one even looks into this they don't get tested but we saw hannah gabriel's right we'll come on to that later actually because i think that's also an interesting point to make so they had who else there? that jack cattrall on there um no one cares about jack cattrall unfortunately it doesn't have an exciting style. Just, you know, I find it annoying and infuriating that the stick Lawrence O'Coley gets for being negative and boring and messy, Jack Cattrall never gets. No one ever sits and goes, you know, Jack Cattrall's a mess to watch. He's terrible to watch. He's terrible. He's just, he's not great for the sport. I never hear that conversation. This is a guy who's still famous for Oh, he sparred Mayweather, he sparred Canelo, and he was robbed against Josh Taylor. He wasn't robbed. He hasn't gone on to do anything since. So I think he thought, what's the guy's name? Dara Foley? Who was quite nice. I, I love the story he told. Man. <laughs> he really, uh, in some ways, he played up to the stereotype, I guess, but I thought he was a thoroughly engaging guy, and he didn't get stopped. So I think that's a moral victory of sorts, because that's the sort of fight that if you want to make a statement at world level, and you're Jack Cattrall, that's the fight you're trying to win, right? 
And the fact that he couldn't should be of even greater concern. And, you know, should we talk about Catchall hitting Foley when he was down? Ah, pass on. Like, you know, like I said, anyone else would have got a hard time. People don't care enough about Jack Catchall to moan about the stuff that he does. It's as simple as that. He's a poor man, Scott Fitzgerald. And that's kind of all there is to it. Not a guy I will be particularly excited about watching and just symptomatic of a matchroom show that wasn't up to par. Considering who Lee Wood was and what he had done, it wasn't up to par. And you saw the event and it was the usual bunch of hangers-on, you know, the matchroom hangers-on, you know, banging the drum. But one thing I do want to touch on, I think it's only right to do so. Eddie Hearn does an IFL interview with O'Hara Davis. And it's all about this. Yeah, he threw me under the bus. He did this. He did that. Right. So let's just refresh the story. Tommy Cole and O'Hara Davis are going back and forth on Twitter. Right. O'Hara Davis pokes fun at Tommy for cheating on his wife. And he goes, yeah, I'll take the story to the sun. Yeah. And so everyone in Liverpool literally spits their dummy up because they think he's taking shots at Liverpool. And it made no sense because there's no connection to Liverpool. But they all jumped on it. Paul Smith, Tony Bellew. And there's all this pressure on Eddie. Get rid of O'Hara Davis. How dare he say this? You know, he's showing insensitivity to the families of the... It was the 96 at the time, but it's now 97. May they all, you know, rest in peace. And may the quest for justice never end. I, I 100% support the JFT movement because anytime the police lie, anytime the police cover up, I'm on your side, 100%. You know, I'm not going to be one of those guys that says, ah, oh, you know, no. Because I remember being a kid and we used to have a show called Road to Wembley. Anyone that grew up outside of England knows we used to have a show called Road to Wembley. So you'd get the FA Cup final live, but that was the only game you ever got live. You'd get like a, be like an hour-long show and it would summarise each of the rounds, right? So that's how you learned about clubs like Morecambe, Halifax Town and so on and so forth. It was a good way. So when you came to England, these names weren't unfamiliar to you. And I remember we got that and they had to do something on the Hillsborough. And so I was a kid and my dad was explaining what had happened and, you know, about hooliganism and stuff. And he explained all of that stuff and how this was a tragedy. And so I've grown up with it. O'Hara Davis hasn't. I can guarantee he hasn't. If you say to anyone in East London who grew up in East London, name me a newspaper, they'll just say The Sun. No one reads a daily mail. The Sun's the one that you know. And he did that. And so there was loads of pressure from all the Liverpool fighters, your Derry Matthews, all these people, this, that, and the third, and the Liverpool public. And then the boxing community just jumped on it because they were like, well, I need to be seen to be aligned to these guys. And so what ends up happening is there's pressure on Tony Sims to get rid of O'Hara Davis. So he does that. Then Eddie was like, we ain't going to be working with him going forward. That's crazy. That's crazy. The kid said, I didn't know anything about this. What is this? What's Tommy Cole got to do with Liverpool? Quite rightly. And so... That was O'Hara's career on Matchroom ended. But here was the irony. It was Eddie Hearn and his father who told O'Hara, you need to be that character. You have to be the villain. We're going to take you up to Liverpool, go and wind up those scousers. 
these were, from what I heard, these were the orders from the matchroom leadership. Go and wind up those scousers. You're going to beat these guys anyway. Just go and wind them up. Yeah, that's going to get you views and uh, you're going to elevate your profile. And it's not who Ahara Davis naturally is. Ahara is a quiet guy who likes to just sit in a corner and observe. This was Barry. This was Eddie. This was Frank Smith. From what I'm hearing, by the way, these were the, the culprits, the creators. And then when it comes back to haunt them, they go get rid of him. Get rid of him. Now it's too controversial. Now get rid of him. And so when they have this interview and Ahara's like, you threw me under the bus and Eddie's like, I don't care. I, I felt I did the right thing. Well, no, like he, he, he never, he gave us the reason that he was told to give, which was about the whole Liverpool thing, which has generally been debunked now because people are like, I don't think Ahara's that sort of guy. Especially now that you've seen the post kind of match from Ahari, like, nah, I don't think he's that dude. And still Hearn can't go, do you know what? That was just a mess. Um, it could have been handled better. We'd love to have kept him, but, you know, we were forced to act quickly. We didn't have all the information we needed. All this sort of stuff that would have shown Hearn was mature, but he's like, I don't care. And you got to think about the hell O'Hara endured as a result of that. The career limbo, all this sort of stuff. And that was a guy who always showed up for Eddie. When, when supposedly Matchroom put pressure on him to sever ties with Tunde and go and work with Tony Sims, when Matchroom told him to do things, he did them. And Hearn's like, I don't care. And, you're, and you guys sit here, listen and worship this guy. Why? I think, that, I think that's as close to being a scumbag. Like all the other stuff I can tolerate, but the disrespectful impressions of Chris Eubank, the disrespect towards the Eubank family the, that enabled him to go to the same school as Jodie Marsh and try and harass her, even though she didn't find him attractive, him leeching over Alex and Ellie, a um, couple of girls I knew from uni. Yeah, he used to lech over them. All this sort of stuff. Yeah, you, you can kind of go, okay, whatever. But you ruined a young man's dream of incomplete information. And because other people pressured you to do it, you didn't show leadership, you didn't show courage, like you are with Conor Ben. And Conor Ben failed two tests. And there you are, banging the drum for him. And this is why I say that He's a scumbag. He is a scumbag. And that's your promoter. No, you're 40 something years old. You're, you're a father. You can't just be like, you know what? We ruined that young man's life. For a period of time, we ruined that young man's life. We did that getting him to dye his hair and all this sort of stuff. We did that. We ruined his life. And all Hearn would have had to say is, do you know what? We could have all handled things better. I, I learned from that. Hopefully, OD's learned from that. We've all learned. Let's move on. But all that, I don't care, that fake tough guy stuff, O'Hara should have just punched him in the jaw. That's why I just punched him in the jaw. The guy's a scumbag. I can't, uh, I find it disgusting, to be honest. I found that, I just found that disgusting. You know, and I, I say this as someone, like I've dealt with boxers for the last 15 years, right? And sometimes they'll come up to me and they'll say, I didn't like it when you did this. And we'll have a conversation and I'll, sometimes I've got to explain it and I've got to say, look, there's a bigger picture here, which is, you know, the cultural integrity of the club. So I had to make that decision for these reasons. I didn't have any other choice. 
we can talk it out and then I can see it from their perspective. They can see it from mine and go, you see why we have a difference of opinion here. But I can't say I don't care. Because that's someone's feelings. If I can't validate your feelings, that shows I don't respect you as a human being. And that's what I felt with that interview. And I don't know why Hara Davis agreed to it, to be honest. You know what? Deep down, he probably just wanted Eddie to go, mate, sorry, give him a hug, move on. That's what he probably wanted. And then Hearn was a scumbag. But not only that, Hearn then goes to have a go at Bob Arum. And uh, Bob, look at who Bob Arum's promoted in terms of Hall of Famers, first ballot Hall of Famers. And we can question his business ethics. I think you can question all these promoters' business ethics, right? You can just, you can drill down into anyone and find holes. But Bob Arum, Bob Arum and Don King are the greatest boxing promoters of the last 70 years, last 50 years, in fact. Right? They are. Bob Arum and Don King. And the gap between those two and where the, Brit, the, the Brits are is, it's like comparing the size of the earth with the size of the sun. It's a gap you can't close. Hearn is not a great promoter. He's a great event manager. He's not a great promoter because he hasn't made any stars. Joshua was an Olympic gold medalist. He was a star already. Canelo was a star already. Golovkin was a star already. Eddie's just a, he's a vulture really. And so he digs up Bob Arum. But look at that top rank stable. Look at that top rank stable. And then look at Matchroom stable. Yet, Hearn just does the same thing, talks in the media repeatedly about how Bob's irrelevant. I'm like, well, hold on. Bob Arum has Shakur Stevenson. Bob Arum has Keyshawn Davis. Bob Arum has Jared Anderson. Bob Arum has Troy Isley. Bob Arum has Tyson Fury. Bob Arum has Josh Taylor. I think Bob Arum has Teo. I'm... I'm scratching my head as to who on Matchroom is comparable. <laughs> Regis Prograde? <laughs> right, okay. Who? Who? Lee Wood? No. Eddie's got nothing. So all he does now is throw, throws rocks at other people thinking that works. But it's a dickhead move. But he's a dickhead anyway. That's what he is. He's an insecure dickhead. I guess you can see why his life's going the way it is outside the ring, but that's not for me to comment on. But I just think when you when you do bad things in the world, it comes back to haunt you. Like the shots of Bob Arum don't make any sense. Ah, oh, Haney Lomachenko did 150,000 buys. What was Haney doing on your platform then? Clearly nothing. Do you see what I mean? Like Haney was doing nothing on your platform. And that's the reality of it. But what Bob Arum said is true. Hearn took that to his own money, let campfire, threw loads of money on it. Yeah? We know that he's working with a vastly restricted budget to where he was before. We know he has to go and get signed off to promote some of these fights. That's why you got that Wood-Lara undercard, which was terrible. That's why you got that. Because he can't, he hasn't got the pull. The zone have sussed him out. They're like, well, we're stuck with this guy for a while. He's, he's free advertising for us. So that's one thing, but we're not going to trust him. That's why he's got to go to Saudi. Like if he had the DAZN money, like he says he does, he could have made Usyk Wilder. He could have made Fury Usyk. He could have made all of these fights off his own back, but he has to go to Saudi because 
he doesn't have the money with the zone. But no one talks about that because in the British media, they all worship the, the ground he walks on because he's the guy that throws out the shekels and the pennies. And then you get boxing fans who are like, wow, you're just being overly negative. I'm not. I just want to get to a point where we respect people who actually deliver. Bob Arum historically has delivered. It's a fact. So you can't disrespect that. You can say, I don't agree with his business practices, but Bob Arum is the number one promoter on the planet. He has potentially the number one stable right now. Hearn's not second. Hearn's probably not even third right now in terms of just stable. But he has his matchroom suckers who will just go to shows he puts on because, as he would say, gets them out of their mum's basement. Whatever. But I wish the board would just say, look, if you keep doing this, we're going to start reprimanding you because it doesn't put us in a good light. One of the, one of the strangest twists of fate in boxing right now is that we're going to see Clarissa Shields fight. I think it's Maricela Conejo um, after Hannah Gabriel's failed a, a drug test. Now, we're in an era where as boxing fans, we just say strict liability, strict liability, aren't we? That's what we're saying now. And we're comfortable with that. If you fail, take your ban. Right? I don't even think we care about excuses anymore. Because we've got to stick to the rules. And she failed for a substance called cholesterol. And her argument is it was in the pain medication that she was rubbing into her dog's down her nipples, nutsack, something. And my first question was, well, just in the interest of hygiene, why wouldn't you wear gloves so you don't pass on any infection to your dog or anything like that? Like, common sense. We've just come out of a pandemic where, like, hygiene has become, you know, one of the key factors. So I found that weird to begin with. I found it odd. And then that, that they had the evidence so readily available, or equally odd. Thirdly, that it said... On the, I think on the bottle of the box, it said cholesterol and no one in her team went, we might want to check this out just to make sure it's above board. Weird. And what was even weirder was Lou DeBella trying to stick up for her. And I understand that's his fighter, but you can't castigate Conor Ben. You can't castigate the lack of doping control. And then when it doesn't work for your agenda, suddenly now you, all the excuses matter. But when Conor Ben was making excuses, you didn't care. And I like the fact that boxing fans are taking a harder line on doping because we need to. But I'm also disappointed that it's not the same energy towards Hannah Gabriels as it was towards Conor Ben. And people can say, ah, oh, it's because I don't know who Hannah Gabriels is. Okay, but now you do. Where's the energy? I, I've always felt that Conor Ben should be banned. I've always felt that what he did was wrong. I felt it was in bad character. I've got episode after episode saying that. I've always felt also the witch hunt around Conor Ben is because it's Conor Ben. People have wanted something like this to jump on him. That's the kind of bit I'm less comfortable with because we don't do it to other people. And we should. Anyone that fails a drug test, we should because this is people's lives. Um, the kid that Nick Ball fought is in hospital now. I don't know if he's in a coma, but he's definitely in a hospital now. Safety is everything. And we can't pretend it's not. Safety is everything. So anything that violates that trust, if any of these lads are juicing and they're putting people on stretches and sending them to hospital, they should be banned from the sport for life. 
Why is that such a hard idea to grasp? I would. If someone got knocked out and it turned out the guy that did the knocking out was on drugs, he should be banned for life. There shouldn't even be a hearing. The board should just go, no, I'm going to rip up your license. Yeah, we're going to rip it up because you violated the, the sacred contract between fighters, which is, I will not cheat. This will be the best effort I can do under my own steam and my own ability. And I don't 100% feel well. We're there in boxing and definitely not in this country. I think in this country, a lot of people are cheating to get ahead. And a lot of trainers are too scared to talk about it openly. And there'll be people who say, are there people you know, Terry, that, you, that you'd imagine are doping? And I'll say, I've never asked, but I can't imagine I'm perfect. I can't imagine my address book is immune from this either. It just is what it is. But we need to have better control over it because the integrity of the sport matters. And I wish uh, Ludomo, is it Ludomo or Ludomo? I wish him all the best in terms of recovery. I hope he goes on to have a happy and healthy life. I feel for Nick Ball as well because I'm sure he didn't want it to end that way. So credit where credit's due. By the way, Nick Ball does not want to fight Lopez, so let's not talk about that fight happening next. I mean, I think that's probably a useful point for me to end now. I've, I've done enough work for a bank holiday Monday. Let me go and enjoy my day. Thanks as always, guys, for tuning in. Um, it's always appreciated because there could be other things you're doing with your time. So the, the love, the loyalty, the support is always appreciated. Thank you and take care.